Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. Hello, everybody. My name is Joan Wright. I'm an employability and placements advisor at the University of Exeter. And I'm joined today by Jesse Heesman, who's going to tell you more about himself in a minute. So, Jesse, let's start at what you're doing now. Can you tell us a little bit about your employer, your role and where you are based? Sure. Hi, Joan, and, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so I work for a VC, well, venture capital fund called PrefCap. Uh, we invest in early stage software companies in the UK and Europe, um, typically between, and I'm about to use some VC jargon, uh, between seed and series A, which are effectively the second and third classic venture funding rounds that a, a business going through a, a venture funding will um, will look like. And um, we're a small team of six, we're three years old, so we're a bit of a startup ourselves and investing out of a fund structure um, into, yeah, interesting companies um, at the early stage. And then in terms of the role, it's pretty varied. Um, the the main, well, main part of my role is finding exciting companies to invest in. And that looks like building out our network with other VC funds, um, angel investors, corporate finance houses that are helping um, startups raise money for funding. And then the next stage of that is analysing the companies we meet, working out whether there'll be a good investment, um, going through an element of due diligence, making sure everything is as it as it's written um, or, or we've been told. Um, and then that all feeds into writing an investment memo, which um, we write for every investment we make. And that feeds into a, a, an investment committee, basically the committee of our fund that signs off on our investments, that feeds into that process. Um, and has everything recorded in it so that that we've got a history of, of what we've done, why we've done it um, at the time. Um, and we're based out of a, a, an office in London, uh, in the city, um, not far from the Barbican, if you've ever been there. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great team. We get on really well and have, have yeah, have lots of fun. That sounds really interesting and quite a, a number of different parts to your role and stages to the venture capital process, which is fascinating. One term I'd just like to ask you about is angel investors. That sounds really interesting. What are angel investors? Yeah, good question. It's um, So an, an angel investor is usually a kind of high net, high net worth individual that, that might have made a bit of money in their career. You know, they don't have to be older, but often are um, in the UK. And they invest in their personal wealth into early stage businesses, uh, often tech companies, often software companies, um, and that might look put, like putting anywhere between five thousand pounds to a hundred thousand pounds or, or more um, into a business at, at the early stages. And the UK has a really rich angel investment network that are actively supporting these businesses. There are some interesting tax breaks, and, and we don't need to go into that now. Called SEIS and EIS investment allow you to claim a bit of tax back on the process and lose less money if, if it all goes wrong. So yeah, that's a, that, they're a really good source of funding for early stage companies. And the, uh, most of the companies we've, we see and invest in have, have had some angel investment money. Um, and angels 
as we call them, these kind of individual investors often have a wealth of experience um, in a particular area and, and often will invest into an industry they've they've been part of for 20, 30, 40 years. That sounds like a really interesting role to have as, as somebody with a bit of money in your pocket and 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 an interest in a sector. Um, and you said you're based in London. So um, but do you work from home any day or are you in the office all the time? Yeah, I try, I try and be in the office almost all the time. I tend to have Fridays at home. Um, so I'm in the office now um, on, a, on a Tuesday. Um, so in the office Monday to Thursday, but I live in central London, so it's pretty easy for me. Some of the team are a bit more more flexible um, and a lot of the time I'm out meeting people for coffees and drinks and pitch events and all those kind of things. So I'm not always behind my desk, uh, usually out and about. So I've got a I've got a little bike and a, and a moped, which I use to get around, which helps. <laughs> Good, good, good lifestyle choice and, and and very handy for nipping around the traffic in London. Exactly. Um, so if we go back seven years, because you're an extra alumnus. So when you were at Exeter, what did you study? I studied geography. It was a mix of human and physical geography. So I think um, a, a nice range and in geography, you tend to be able to study anything within it. Um, and my dissertation I'm trying to think back now was a um, study on I took a sediment core next to the M25 in the lake to work out what what the pollution looked like over time and if that had changed and and I think when when I took the sediment core back to Exeter in the car it fell over so <laughs> so all of the the kind of historical records that I pulled out were all, all, all mixed together so um, yeah ge geography is the short answer but uh, it was a good good fun yeah so this is really interesting, actually, from a, a you know, yeah, a career as a student sort of studying geography. Um, did you always know what you wanted to do? I actually probably didn't. I whilst I was at uni, I did a couple of um, I wouldn't call them internships, work experience placements for a couple of days here and there with contacts in my network and my family's, you know, people, people that my family knew. Um, it was never proper work. It was just kind of a shadowing ex experience, but um, it gave me a view of what I didn't want to do and maybe what I did want to do. But I was pretty open. I applied for a number of grad schemes in my final year. You know, you have you do a load of these applications and 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 none of them <laughs> come good. Um, and then suddenly one does. And uh, I eventually got a, an offer for uh, the Accenture grad scheme um, and was you know total sigh of relief when that comes in and and yeah just just went on to do that and and they take applicants every well, at the time we're doing it every quarter I think and and so I managed to get a January start date for the year after I um I, I left Exeter so I managed to do a bit of traveling before and kind of squeezed in a half gap year I guess um, yeah. ahead of that so um which is not the subject of, of what we're talking about but uh, yeah didn't have a particular idea a grad scheme application came good and it, it, you know it's a great experience yeah and, and that's really important for students to recognize that you don't just have to have to have a degree in business to apply to a company a consulting company like Accenture or others um you can come from a range of degree disciplines and that diversity of thought um and ideas and of of, of degrees is, is really what, what is attractive to them as a company as well now for people who don't know anything about Accenture can, can you explain a bit about Accenture and what, what they're like as a company, what they do. Yeah, they're a major um, consulting firm, global. Over, I mean, when I was there, they had half a million people working for them. I think that figure is probably more like 750K now. Um, and they do all sorts of 
consulting from highly technical work, you know, maintaining systems for large enterprises through to project management of uh, big projects. I'm trying to think of things like implementing GDPR, things like that, um, all the way to more strategic support and, and um, advisory work where you might be helping a C-suite level in a, in a UK bank work out what their plans for growth might be next year or, or major cost-cutting initiatives. So a real range of, I mean, they do all sorts, but a lot of it's around the kind of digital transformation uh, journey that, that many of these businesses are on, um, a lot around moving to cloud uh, from local um, on-premise servers and, and things like that. So I'm, you know, I'm going down a bit of a rabbit hole on the, on the tech side now, but all, all Well, they're quite a techie company, aren't they? And were you interested in tech when you joined Accenture? Or I, I, I probably wasn't. Again, it, it was a, you know, it kind of came good. I thought it was a good grad scheme to get on and I managed to get onto it. And and I think as I, as the years went by and I did five years with Accenture before I moved to my current role, I realised that tech, and I think in that, in that, in the last 10 years, tech became, it used to be a cost centre for a business like a large bank. And then it became a centre for growth of, you could actually drive down your costs in the broader organization by the use of certain technologies, cloud computing, software. Um, you can improve the customer experience by using new digital uh, solutions and things like that. And so technology went from being a kind of thing like HR to a core tenant of the of the business. And that was really exciting. And, and to, to realize that was what was happening in my time there got me super interested in yeah, a number of, of, of areas. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because a lot of students say they're not interested in tech and then they go to a, a company and think, oh, they find this new passion for tech because it's central to, to most roles now, isn't it? Yeah. So, OK, so you were you went to Accenture on a grad scheme, which was a couple of years, but you stayed on for, for five years. How did this help you get into venture capital or prepare you for your role in, as it is at the moment in venture capital? Good, good question. Um, I think there are a few different ways. Now, where I am, I'm I'm part of a fund that invests in software companies, um, tech companies. And so many of the companies we invest in, that we see, and, and in our portfolio of, of companies we've invested in and ones we come across, are servicing the, the types of clients that I used to work with at Accenture. So large enterprises that um, need software to help with their day-to-day -day operations. And so um, when I was at Accenture, we were working to implement these technologies to help them drive down costs or you know improve efficiencies or improve the customer experience as I've kind of alluded to uh, and now we're meeting or I'm meeting companies that are finding new ways to do that and uh, they themselves are selling into large UK retail banks um, and so that that, that um, is some continuity between the the two roles so that kind of technical interest is is one area um, I think another that Accenture prepared me for, for the role was internally in the five years I was at Accenture I moved from I started off in the kind of project management side of things on large programs and flipped into a strategy consulting role about halfway through my time there which was generally about how helping senior uh, leadership teams in, in, in these businesses we helped um, supported to understand how they could tee up projects um, of work to cut costs, improve growth, things like that. And so there was more of an analytical 
mindset needed it wasn't just how organized can you be and how quickly can you do work it was a reflective problem solving uh, mentality and also involved plotting out financial forecasts and looking at the various returns that on investment of uh, one of these you know I was working with a retail bank could make if they implemented different scenarios different software packages different cost reduction plans whatever it looked like so um that that definitely helped me with with a mindset of how to assess the companies we see and what might be a good return on investment for, for us as a fund, I guess, as well. So I guess there are two key ways. That's really interesting, is it? Those project management skills that that that, that helped you really well and the, the identification of, of opportunities and, and how to make those, those happen that helped you in venture capital. But how did you actually move then from Accenture to um, PrefCap? How did that, did you apply for a job? Did you see something advertised? How did that happen? It, it was quite a random one, actually. I um, I help out in a local youth group in Wimbledon in, in London and ha- have been doing that for the last five or six years. And about maybe three or four years ago, one of the kids in the youth group, I, I met his dad who, and, and when he was picking, picking his son up, um, we got chatting and it turned out his dad was involved in a couple of, uh, of businesses. He was, he was, I think, chairman of a tech company, but also sat as a partner in, in a uh, venture fund um, called PrefCap, which, which is obviously where I am now. Um, at the start, that was, uh, we built a bit of a relationship up in the sense of a kind of mentor style thing. Um, we would go for coffees um, in the city and, and, and have a chat about work and life and moves and things like that and it, there was no real agenda to it from, from either side and I certainly wasn't angling for a, for a job in, in the fund but um, yeah after a couple of years he mentioned that there was a role going an associate level role he thought I'd be a good fit and he said why don't you throw your um, hat in the ring there's a formal recruitment process as a recruiter dealing with this and so you have to go through him but go for it and so um, I did and uh, yeah went through the process and um, felt like it was a good fit for me and I got really excited by it, and um, and and I'd had a bit of experience at, at the early stage software company level at Accenture. I was involved in the fintech innovation lab, which is a kind of accelerator for early stage software companies in the, in the finance space. Um, and I got a bit of taste for that, and I thought, you know, I, I could see myself focusing in on this area. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, as I said, went for it. So what you're really talking about then, um, Jesse, is is sort of making your own luck? Is it networking? Is it making your own luck? What is it? What do you think? Yeah, it definitely is an element of making your own luck. And I think um, you've got to put yourself in a scenario where you might have those conversations. And that's maybe being brave to speak to people you don't know really well, asking questions, being open minded. And um, I think through doing that, you'll find that opportunities arise that you had never thought of. And it might be from someone you'd never imagined, might might have a friend that's looking for a certain role, uh, a certain candidate for a certain role and right time, right place. And, and you might be that person. So you never know how these things might go. And I think just taking an open mind and to getting to know people and w- with no real agenda, I, I'd stress not having an agenda is quite important because it, it, it might not be so uh, natural or, or organic if if, if you're you know, in it for a particular cause. But yeah, just keep an open mind. Well- or in, or in a particular time frame, because often these these people that we meet through life, um, we meet them at a later stage and then the connection, something happens a couple of years later, like it happened 
for you, you know, with, with PrefCap or months later. Um, I, I'm also interested sort of in the happenstance careers theory that it's all about being opportunity ready. So if you're identifying your next move into venture capital or into another area, then are your skills up to date? Is there something you can do in the meantime in your current job to evidence skills in that area or to gain experience like you did in a way in the um in the lab and it was that a did you say innovation lab or yeah uh, exactly, were, yeah. yeah so so that, i think that's really interesting for, for students to think about how can i upskill so i'm ready for my next opportunity if you if you know where, where that you would like that to be so um we talk a lot now to students about the importance of resilience of taking on board feedback and bouncing back from any setbacks um was the interviewer application process at any stage for you in all of those sort of seven years or so? Um, was it always straightforward or were there setbacks? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely step back, setbacks. Um, when I was applying for Accenture, I think the first time round I got rejected and they said, sorry, we're full of the applicants were, were full. We're not taking anyone else. And then a month later, they replied saying we've opened up again. We'd love you to come to an assessment centre. So, I mean, that was a month of oh, back to the drawing board. Yeah. What do I do next? And suddenly it was back on and, you know, they clearly got a certain way down the alphabet list of names and had filled it up and then they opened up the next <laughs> batch or whatever it was. So um, that was, yeah, that was a bit of a short term setback and, and that came good. I guess with the internal moves when I moved into the strategy consulting unit, that was that took, took a bit of time when I was Accenture and you had to prove yourself. You couldn't just um, do something because you wanted to do it. But uh, as we were talking about a minute ago, you had to uh, be patient, learn your trade and and prove that you would be a good asset in that part of the business. And so that was that was a bit of hard work. And then um, with the PrefCap interview process, again, you had to prove that you really wanted the job, understood the industry. And then there was a case study where I had to effectively, you know, do a day in the life of what I'm doing now and analyzing three companies um, that they were looking at at the time to assess whether they'd be a good investment and talk that through to the team on on the interview, which was you know fairly daunting when there were five people on the Zoom call and I was, um, yeah, talking through my views on why it might might or might not be a good investment based on a pitch deck. So, um, yeah, you've got to be prepared and and you can't assume that these things will just happen. But I think putting in the work and the time with these things always always helps. Yeah. Um, yeah, the research and the preparation before before any interview process and talking to as many people as possible within that sector or industry, presumably as well. Completely. Um, yeah. D don't um, underestimate the power of, of, of your your network in testing ideas and um, kind of crowdsourcing thoughts from. I, I, I've used that and still use that now when we see a company that we might invest in, we go out to our network of, of folks that understand the area maybe more than we do and try and source um, some some kind of subject matter input um, there. Um, for those who don't really understand it, what does a venture capitalist do? And I know we've we've mentioned seed venture capital, but maybe that's bring us down another alleyway. I don't know. Can you explain to us a bit more about the different types of venture capital? Sure. And and I'll try and define what we mean by a venture capital fund as well. And at its core, VC funds invest other people's money. So a fund will have potentially high net worth investors, could be the same people that are investing in as angels into specific companies on their own. But they also might say, here's my money. I want to outsource that investing process to a, a manager of money that um, has more time, a, a proper process, sees more companies and, and, and can do all that for me. Um, there might be institutional investors such as the Exeter Endowment or 
a pension fund um, investing in in some of these VC funds um, to get access to the you know the potentially exciting returns that you, you can see in in venture capital and early stage investments. So that that's what that's what we do. That's what other funds do is invest other people's money. Um, and yeah, there's different ways of chopping up the VC landscape. It could be by stage, which we've mentioned um, previously. It could be by sector focus. Um, you might have consumer focused VC funds that are looking for the next TikTok, or it could be B2B business to business um, software focused funds like that's what we are looking for the next Salesforce or ServiceNow. There's a whole and a whole range in between. And, and there's a range of strategies, I guess, as well. So in the US, um, on the on the West Coast, you might see um, funds that, that invest in 30 odd companies, but will imagine that only two of them will do really well and that will make them yeah. all of their money. So there's there's a uh, and that's called, you know, if, if people want to search that afterwards, search the power law um about how just a small percentage of your your fund portfolio will return the fund and more um the, po- the power laws yeah the power it? law yeah okay yeah. i'm gonna look up that afterwards <laughs> that's a power law but obviously there are lots of failures then as well you know the return on investment is pot- potentially really high is it then with venture capital that's why people invest their money in venture capital when they can high risk but high potential gains is that it yeah exactly so there's a kind of risk reward piece and, mm-hmm. and um, you can kind of dig into historic returns of, of venture funds with, with, with a quick Google search. But what the, the thesis is for, for a typical um, VC fund is that if we invest in 30 odd companies in, in a particular fund, uh, two or three or four might do really well um, and return lots of, of capital to investors. Um, a handful might do okay and return a bit of money some might you might make back only the money you put into the business and so you you don't do really well you don't lose any money and some might fail straight away in in or in the coming years and and you you might never see that money again and so there's a range of outcomes but the the idea and why people like investing in vc funds is that with the diversification across a portfolio of companies that you've invested in the risk factor dramatically reduces the, the yeah. more companies you're hedging you your risks in. with with the balance of portfolio yeah exactly whereas an angel investor that has three investments um it might be slightly harder to 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 get those um average return yeah okay that, that, that's that's really interesting actually to to talk about all that the different types of investor and the different types of funds and the balance of risk across across those funds um we're recording this just before our entrepreneurship week at the university. How do you think entrepreneurship and venture capital are interrelated? Are, are there skills, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs, presumably, and are there skills that you think are essential to a successful entrepreneur? What would yeah. you think? Yeah, I, I think in terms of the first question, they're totally interrelated. Um, not every entrepreneur will go down the venture funding avenue. Many will fund their own businesses themselves perhaps from a previous business that has done really well. Um, many will quickly turn a profit um, and won't need an injection of capital. But um, venture capital funds, um, as well as angel investors, allows and allow entrepreneurs to, I guess, supercharge their growth, um, spend more money than they would otherwise have at their fingertips to improve their products, build new technology, uh, hire some sales and marketing, um resources um 
which might allow them to capture more of the market and do better than they ever would have done without the VC money. And and there's a there's a range of routes in between where a founder or an entrepreneur might take a little bit of venture money and and then um, flip the business into profitability and and kind of go alone from there. Um, so yeah, I think totally interrelated. And um, venture capital would be absolutely nothing without the entrepreneurs that are building businesses. We're just guys and girls allocating capital from our investors into exciting companies. And so without those exciting companies, that there is nothing there. But on the skills front of um, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, I'm definitely not an expert. And, and so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But I, I'd say the best founders we see don't just have great ideas or great solutions to specific problems. Um, but can also execute on those ideas and deliver. They put the hours in to make it happen. They start the journey rather than just talk about it. I have lots of friends, and I would include myself in this, that have lots of nice ideas about what could be a good business. But until you put some time in, dedicate your evenings and weekends to it, maybe even quit your job, you know, you you, you won't get there. Um, so the the attributes that I see and that I guess pop out to me are um, that sticking power to keep going, seeing through the noise, seeing opportunity that other people aren't seeing, a creativity to build something from nothing. Uh, and uh, I guess a, a final one would be an op optimism about the future and about what they can build and the journey they're on. Because um, I think if you didn't have that, you would probably give up based on the hours yeah. and effort and time you spend on those yeah. things. So is that real resilience that like you spoke about, the stickability at a, at a task or an idea until you get success? And I suppose they must be able to persuade people. They must be able to persuade a venture capitalist like you, you know, of, of, of the of the worth in their idea and the value in their idea and how it can be implemented. Yeah, I mean, I think that persuasion element is is huge. You've got to persuade, as you say, investors to invest in you. You've got to persuade potential clients to use your software over and above the incumbent software provider they're already using um and you've got to um convince people to come and work for you and it's a, you know in a potentially risky business so i think that's a huge part of it of being a a founder an entrepreneur a, a leader in a, in an early stage business so um so jesse what type of person would a role in venture capital suit i think you have to be um, and it depends on the stage that you're investing at and um, at the at the later stages with more mature companies where there's more information, there's a distinct universe of companies you could invest in. It's a bit more desk based. There's a bit more analytical work, maybe maybe more financially driven than at, at the very early stage. Um, and then at the early stage, you're you're more operating on kind of look and feel at touch and feel. Do you like the founding team? Do you like the idea? Um, and you're just backing ideas at the really early stage. And so there's a whole breadth in between there. For us, we invest between seed and series A. Um, and at this stage, I think there's a nice blend of both the desktop analytical um, piece and writing up of the investment memo, but also getting out there, building the network and, and those kind of things. Um, and so on, on that um, getting out there side of things, it's going to events, to pitch days where Founders are pitching investment for their startup, a bit like you might see on Dragon's Den, I guess it is the cliche. Um, going for coffees with investors in your network for drinks. Um, uh, today, I, I had lunch with a VC investor who I met recently and we just, yeah, we just grabbed a bite and it's good to stay in touch. He gave me some ideas about how I would find new companies. Um, so all of that, that stuff's really good and I, I enjoy getting out there. But then you have to be also be good at coming back 
to your desk, getting your head back into some financial projections of a business you, you're about to invest in, um, digging into that side of things. And, and a lot of that can be learnt. Some of the team here were accountants before and, and they're brilliant at upskilling me in that area. Um, and so I guess you, you have to be able to do both the outward stuff, but also the analytical desktop based writing, analyzing, summarizing, doing due diligence, those kind of things um, on your own uh, and as a team. So I think I think it would suit a generalist in that sense, someone that can do both sides of those things. And I think the, the best part of the job and, and the most interesting part for me is meeting founders. And that could be over coffee, that could be on a Zoom um, and learning about new industries, new, new solutions to old problems, new types of software and how they're applying that to a, a certain industry. That stuff is is the stuff. If you like that, the rest of it will hopefully follow because I think that's the um, the, the bread and butter of, of the role is investing into companies. So you, you've got to be inspired and interested in, in that side. That, that's really interesting because the word that comes to mind um, to me is, is you have to have a curious mindset. So you have to be interested in people, uh, strong interpersonal skills, curious mindset. And then, like you say, the whole suite of other skills that you need, you need the strong um, analytical skills, don't you? The attention to detail, um, because detail really matters when you're investing lots of money and, and other people's money in particular. And, you know, report writing, like you say, even Excel, Power BI, Tableau, that sort of thing as well. So it's a, a huge range of skills, isn't it, in that role, but very, very interesting. So um, does PrefCamp have opportunities for internships or placements? Do you hire either students or graduates? Yes, we actually took on an intern over the summer, um, a couple of interns actually. Um, one was from Exeter. We right. um, thought we would go out to the universities that the members of the team ha had been to as a, as a kind of um, source for, for interns. And it was a really good experience. The lady we had from Exeter was really useful and really helped us in finding new companies. We tend to find companies from our warm network of people saying, oh, why don't you have a look at this? Um, but she did a really good job of digging through um, other VC fund portfolios and finding interesting companies that might be interesting for us and then contacting them directly, um, which is which is something new for us. Um, so she was really useful and, and it was a really good experience. We did six weeks uh, with her and six weeks with another lad from Loughborough. And yeah, I think we'll do that again, hopefully next summer, potentially over the Easter break. We need to work out when works best for us, but that's mm -hmm. something that we'll be teeing up for, for next year. And if that's at all interesting for anyone listening, then uh, you know, feel free to get in touch via our website or LinkedIn and, and I can field any requests, whatever's best. Great. And, and we'll be happy to promote it in our newsletter, our business school newsletter that goes out to students every Monday evening and, and throughout other colleges as well, because we don't want to miss any geographers um, mm -hmm. in, in, in that in that a talent search for you either. Um, so um, that would be really good for us to do for you. And just back on those students that you you've had, I mean, research skills are key, aren't they? Actually, we haven't touched upon those at all. And that will, you know, research for geography degree, presumably research in most degrees that we do at university. So those research skills are, are key to finding opportunities for you in, in, in venture capital. Yeah, it, it's a huge part of it. And it's yeah one I should have mentioned, both research in terms of finding companies, digging around to see if there's news about that company, how much funding have they had to date, um, what sector are they operating in, what does the management team look like? Loads of that stuff builds up into our investment memos, which we then write for, for a kind of 
uh, investment that's, that's down in the process and we're about to do, um, but also research around particular topics and um, themes. So it might be that we need to look at, we've seen loads of businesses in the payment space, could the intern build a, a kind of map of, of how we should categorise those payments businesses we've seen? And, that, and that's what um, the intern from Exeter did uh, a few weeks ago. And so it's those kind of um, pieces of research which are really useful in guiding um, how we operate, where we look for businesses and our kind of current thesis, I guess. Right. That's very interesting um, to think think of all the skills that you've mentioned now um, and um, all of the opportunities that are there for students who are interested in, in this area. So um, in terms of advice then for anybody who is interested in listening to this podcast on, on how, how to get into venture capital, what advice would you give back to your 18-year-old self as you joined university? And I'm really thinking of things other than their degree um, uh, that that matter in terms of when you're applying for jobs. It's a good question, and it's it's definitely not something I was thinking about when I was 18. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's always hope if you're not thinking about it. But I'd say a few things. Um, I think it might not be the right answer if you if you want to move into venture capital on day one after graduating. But I would I would highly recommend, and and the rest of the team would as well. Um, seeking out some graduate experience you can if in, in a larger organization it could be consulting investment banking accounting could be with a tech company with a startup I mean there's there's so many different routes and there's not there's no right answer um, but that would be a really good place to start and uh, I realize as I said that might not be the answer you were hoping for if you were looking to move into VC but but some VC funds do take people straight out of uni and, and certainly do take people for internships um, and I think on that note, I would just be patient. You can't rush where you want to be always. And so building up over time where you are, what you're doing, um, trying to gain more of an interest in the area, building the network, working hard to understand it more. And, and I guess a good place to start would be to map what you saw as the UK venture ecosystem to understand the players, where you might apply in the future when you hit certain elements of your of your career. And so I think that's important. And I think in terms of outside interests um, at university, being involved in societies and clubs and sports, I think it's hugely important, as we've talked about, being in a VC fund and working for um, yeah, working for a fund, there's such a variance in what you do that it's not just a single worldview, pure finance head that, that it's going to be suited to. It's probably more suited to someone that has a broader interest in how life works what makes people tick, behaviours, software trends, all these kind of things that you pick up as you get yourself involved in all sorts of other areas of yeah. life. And and I think as well, from what I've heard you say today, you're also a team member, a team player. You you meet with lots of people, so share common interests with lots of people. So if you've got lots of experience with either a sport or a society or whether it's hill walking or football or netball or whatever it is, you will find people with similar interests or, um, you know, in your in your work life and you will connect with them better, would you say? Yeah, it's it's a um that's a really collaborative industry to be part of um whilst there is some competition to get into certain deals or invest in certain companies generally people are really happy to help each other and if you're used to that kind of team player environment i think it would um, bode well for a a career in venture capital and in consulting as well actually i'd say 
um mm. Accenture internally uh, it's a it's a massive organization but people were very happy to help and go out of their way to share information share knowledge and so being good at those things I think bodes well for for both careers in consulting and venture capital. Well that's a lovely note to end on Jesse thank you so much for joining us today and, and, and sharing all of your experiences from graduation seven years ago to now your role through Accenture to your role in um, in, in venture capital. Um, I'm sure that it'll be of, really of interest to University of Exeter students who will listen in to, in, into this um, over the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message hashtag CareerZonePodcast at UOECareers on Twitter or at UOECareerZone or at UOECormalCareerZone on Instagram and we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.